You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Welcome to Kingsway. We're glad to be here with you today. We're in part three of our series on Ephesians, where we're looking now at the home, the family, which we began last week. I, uh, so there's this lady. She goes to the doctor. She's got all these medical issues. And she goes to the doctor. She lays out all of her medical issues and is kind of going through them all and telling them. And he looks at her. He says, ma'am, I'm sorry. I really can't find a link between all of these things you're telling me. And he says, why don't, you, why don't you tell me what your average day is like? Maybe that would help. So she says, okay, well, I begin at 5.30 in the morning. That's when I wake up so I can just have a little bit of me time, a little time with God, except for I hit snooze today and I hit it multiple times. I didn't wake up till six. So I woke up, did a few minutes with God, just said, God, I'm so sorry, I'll talk to you later. She said, at that point, I hurried, had to hurry up. I had to get the kids out of bed because they all got to come downstairs. They got to kind of wake up and get breakfast. So I started making breakfast. I stopped, I went upstairs. I woke all the kids up. They gave me all kinds of fits and fuss, but I finally got them out of bed, got them downstairs, and they started breakfast. That's when I realized I kept hearing my husband's alarm go off upstairs, and he kept Soon too. So I went upstairs, grabbed my husband, woke him up out of bed, said, you got to get up, you got to get out of bed, you're going to be late for work. So he got up and he starts to get ready. I come back downstairs, kids are starting to fight. I kind of helped them get things together. I got breakfast going for them, sound about right, ladies. And I helped them get dressed and I got to get their teeth brushed and get everything kind of going. I got to get their stuff in their backpack and I get their lunch pack and I get their lunch, or their backpacks on them. At this point, my husband comes downstairs and he says, honey, I'm late for work. Do you have food for me? I give him some food so he can run out the door, get in his car, start to drive away, only to realize he forgot his briefcase backpack himself. He has to come back, grab his iPad his laptop, whatever it is that he takes to work, and then go again. I got the kids in the car, on the bus, out the door, they're on their way. At this point, I get to finally go inside and realize I get to clean up myself because I got to run a bunch of errands that I got to get done before my youngest comes home from school. So I come home, I get cleaned up as best as I can, and I go, and I got to go to the post office. When I get there, though, there's this huge line, and I'm sitting there stressed out, oh, what am I going to do? But I'm backed up. So I pull out my phone, I'm trying to save time, I start taking notes on my phone of all the things that I need to buy, I can pick up so I could best do it. But on my way to running all those other errands, my mom calls on the phone and she wants to talk about my dad. So I get to the grocery store parking lot and I'm sitting in the car because I can't get out and have this conversation in the grocery store with my mom. I finally got the phone. I go inside. There's a bunch of frazzled women in here. They look just like me. And I grab the groceries. I put them in the car and at this time I don't have a lot of time so I rush home as quickly as I can. I take the groceries out of my car. I take them inside. I put the frozen things in the freezer, the refrigerated things in the refrigerator and I'm doing the best that I can but the rest of the bags are sitting there. My youngest comes home at the door. I greet him. Hi, how are you, honey? I kiss him. I help unpack his bag. We sit down and ask, how was your day? He says... Fine. What did you learn today? Nothing. <laughs> Hours well spent. I put them on the iPad so that I can put the rest of the groceries away. I kind of get the rest of the groceries put away. I realize a grenade went off this morning from breakfast, and so I start to kind of take the dishes off the table. I put them in the sink. At this point, my next one is coming home from school just about now. That starts to happen. Hi, honey, how are you? Fine. What happened today? Nothing. Try to kind of get life going. Put him on an iPad, an Xbox, or something outside, somewhere just to distract him so I can start to get dinner ready. That's when it dawns on me that I had this doctor's appointment that I made two weeks ago that I completely forgot about. So now I'm picking up the phone. I'm calling a neighbor. I'm asking the neighbor to call come over to watch the kids. Don't forget my daughter's coming home after volleyball practice. Here's what you need to do. And then I show up here and you guys are running 10 minutes behind. He says, ma'am, the good news is I think we figured out what the problem is. You're stressed. She says, fine. Is there a prescription for that? 
He says, as a matter of fact, there is. He writes a prescription. She takes it on her way home. She has to go buy CVS, Walgreens, pick your place. I don't care. But they're running behind too. And so she drops it off. She has to wait. By the time she gets in the door, she has roughly 15 minutes to try to turn around and make the dinner that she'd been planning to make for a week now. She starts dinner, but her husband is running late. Surprise. Now, in his mind, he's thinking, when I come home, I'll be a little bit late. My wife will be frustrated, but I'll smooth it over with a hug and a kiss. And the good news is, everybody will be at the dinner table waiting for me when I get home. He walks in the door, and instead, what he sees is a tornado came to the house. The kids are fighting. There's steam pouring out of pots on the stove. He walks over, gives his wife a kiss, and she says to him, honey, can you clear off the table while I finish the dinner? And he says, you mean dinner's not ready yet? She looks at him and laser beams come out of her eyeballs. Point taken. He walks over, he cleans off the table. At that point, his phone buzzes in his pocket. He picks it up. Oh, it's that thing at work. He's got to get this thing done. He needs to respond to this email. Not an hour from now, not five hours from now, right now. He sits down at the dinner table and he starts to respond to said email. Now, if he hadn't at lunchtime checked his fantasy football page, if he hadn't been talking to his buddies about how the game went this weekend, maybe this thing would have been done anyway. But regardless, it is what it is. The kids are still fighting and she says, honey, can you get the kids cleaned up and at the table? He says, hey kids, go wash your hands, turn off the Xbox and come to the table. A minute later, he looks at her he looks back at his phone. Kids haven't moved. She looks at him quite frustrated. He said, I asked you to get the kids to the table. He said, I tried. They wouldn't listen. <laughs> this is getting too real, isn't it? <laughs> she says, would you set the table? She goes over. She gets the kids off the iPads, off the Xboxes, in from outside, whatever it is. They wash their hands. They're now sitting at the table. He's trying to set the table. He looks at her. He says, where's this? Where is that? I can't find the this. I can't find the that. And she says, if I were going to be the one to get all these things, I would have just done it myself. So she does. So she's now setting the table. Everybody's sitting there. He prays for the family and the food. They get done. He's now staring off in the distance at the cabinets or something outside. His brain is clearly in another place. The mom goes around the table. How was your day? How was your day, honey? How was your day, honey? Fine, fine, fine. Everybody looks at dad. How was your day? Fine. What'd you do today? And he says, nothing. And she begins to wonder to herself, is anybody in this house going to talk to me? Suddenly, the phone buzzes again. He reaches down to his pocket. She looks at him, laser beams. He leaves the phone in his pocket thinking against it. Dinner finishes up. Everybody gets up to the table, goes off to do their own things, and he's still sitting there. He now assumes it's safe. He takes the phone out of his pocket. He looks at the phone, and he's checking as he's scrolling things, and his wife says, hey, I went to the doctor today. Oh, yeah? What'd he say? He says, I'm stressed. Oh. I talked to my dad also, or my mom also. Oh, yeah? What'd she say? She says, my dad's having a hard time right now. Oh, yeah. Finally, he takes the phone, he puts it in his pocket, and he says, would you tell the doctor about that pain in your backside? And she says, no, I didn't mention you at all. <laughs> I just went all that way for one really bad joke. <laughs> Have a great day, God bless you. But I'm going to guess in some form or fashion, your, your family situation might look totally different. You wives might work outside the home. You might be a homeschool parent, uh, whatever. You might drive your kids to school. They might take the bus. Maybe you've figured out some roles or responsibilities you've divvied up. But I'm going to guess in some form or fashion, what I just described sounds like your life in some way. And so... As a byproduct, I just want you to know that by God's grace, I've been married just over 18 years. I just had my 18th anniversary a couple weeks ago. Yeah, you can clap for that. Praise God. 
I told my wife 18 more years that she could trade me in on a new model if she wants, but um, no, I'm joking. So we, um, I did tell her that. She was actually offended. I was, it was a joke. She didn't think it was funny. Anyway, um, so my hope, my hope is that some of the things God's revealed to me over the last 18 years, but especially the last few years that I could share with you, and this is really hard because some of the things I'm telling you about today, I'm still learning and discovering for myself, so maybe just give yourself some grace today. Today, we're going to talk to husbands, next week to wives, and the week after that, really to parents and kind of children at the same time. And so you're going to find a lot of these things kind of wrapped together. We're talking to husbands, but we're going to touch on some other things. Uh, I just want to tell you real quick, see, over the last few years, um, I have spent ten dollars to $15,000 uh, getting coaching, coaching literally on how to be a better husband and a better father in my home. And so part of what I'm sharing to you today is what others have poured into me, and I just want to pour it into you. And part of what I want to share with you coming up here is in about six weeks, <clears throat> on November the 4th, we're going to do a parenting seminar, a parenting seminar. It's not going to be everything that there is to know. It's not even going to be everything I've learned, but <clears throat> we're just taking a couple of the pieces of wisdom that God's poured into me, and I want to share it with you. So would you just mark your calendar? I'll tell you more over the coming weeks what to expect and what to get ready for and how to sign up. Just mark your calendar today. Go ahead and mark your calendar November 4th. My last piece of advice before we really jump in for the next 25, 30 minutes to really cover the ground we need to cover today is this. Husbands, this is the time for you to keep your elbows to yourselves, okay? You're not to look at your wives and say, see, honey, I told you so. We're going to talk about some passages of the Bible that use the word submit. You are not to use this as a weapon against your spouse today. Wives, as we are talking today, since we're talking primarily to husbands, you are not to look at him and say, "Mm -mm -mm, I told you so. You are not to later on at lunchtime or dinner tonight or whatever say, hey, were you even listening to what Matt said? You are to say absolutely nothing about what I say today, okay? I will set you up well by the end. You will be, you'll have something to take with you, but just stick with me. Your job and your only job, ladies, is to pray for the husbands, the boyfriends, the fiancés, or even the exes in your life. Pray for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit will speak, that they will have heard something from him, and that they will respond to him. All right? Let's pick up real quick. Let's look at where Todd took us last week. I know it was Labor Day, so many of you weren't here, and I'm sad for you because you missed a fantastic message by Todd. This comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Todd really taught out of this. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, this whole passage in scripture, this sets up everywhere we've been and everywhere we're going. I don't have time to tell you everywhere we've been, but what you need to know is what we talked about up to this point is that uh, you, are, uh, um, you are empowered by God. You have power from God to do all that God intends for you to do in life. You are secured in him, so even when you've blown it, even if today you're convicted to your core, you've not been a good husband or a good father, it's okay because there's grace in Christ, but you have everything you need for life and God in him, okay? So what you're learning right now is going to be information that's intended to grow you to the next level. But part of what we need to know is being believers, being a Christian, whether this is your church, your home, your school, if you want to have success there, it's all about mutual, mutual submission. That means that the two of you or in any organization you're in are to submit to each other. In fact, one guy, his name is Klein Snodgrass. <laughs> How's that for a name? He says this, mutual submission will not allow us to promote ourselves in our own interests, but neither does it make us doormats to be used by others. Legitimate submission cannot be coerced. What that means is this. When you came to Jesus Christ, what you're doing in the waters of baptism is not only receiving new life, but you're receiving a new leadership. And as a new leader, you're surrendering to Christ as king. You're submitting to Christ as king of your life. But no one can force you to do that. 
This is your decision. This is your choice. And marriage and parenting is the exact same. Now, many men over the years have used physical abuse, words, attacking, threatening words, cutting down, mocking or shaming, even sexual abuse to try to force women to submit. But I'm here to tell you today, if you want a healthy home, you cannot physically force, threaten, beat your children into submission. And you cannot physically force, threaten your wives into submission. And if you are trying, then you do not yet understand the heart of your heavenly father. And it's time to change. You may argue, and we'll talk more in a couple weeks about discipline and spanking and all those things. Realize, and I said this a few months back, realize discipline from God is always about changing the heart and mind. It's not about punishment and it's not about force. Are you with me? So your heavenly father is your model for you. Your heavenly father is the goal for you. Here, I'll show it to you in scripture. Ephesians chapter five, Ephesians chapter five, verse 31, 32. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Now, this analogy always kind of gets weird with men. So, men, I need you to stick with me. We're going to look at this and we're going to back up one. So, marriage is supposed to be a picture of Jesus in the church. That's what he's saying here in verse 32. This isn't weird, but, but you all in here today and every Christian on the face of the planet are the bride of Christ. Now, man, I realize you're like, I'm no bride, I'm a dude. I get it. It's just a metaphor. The whole point of the metaphor is that when you left these false idols in your life, when you turned away from those efforts of your own to save yourself and you turned to Christ, he received you as his bride and now he protects you as a husband does his wife. And that analogy may get lost on you if you never saw a protective loving father or you yourself are not a very protective and loving husband. Are you with me? But it's still a perfect analogy Now go back one verse, back to verse 31 for a second. See, because of this, a man is supposed to leave his father and mother. What that means is take a look at Jesus. Did Jesus leave the father in heaven, the place where it was his home, where he was worshiped? Did he leave there to come down here and become one with us? Yes, there's your model. Now many men don't struggle with this, but some do. Many men I know actually struggle with the extreme version where they walk away from mom and dad and then they never call them again or never talk to them again or never see them again because they're too busy living their own lives. The Bible's still clear about honoring your father and mother. However, the, crisp, the point here is crystal clear. It doesn't say a woman will leave her father and mother, does it? Not the saying she shouldn't. The point here is that the man will begin to lead He will leave his mother and his father and become one with his wife and now will be the leader in that home. And there is significant implication for that next week when we talk to women. But I want you to understand this, men. Some of you have not yet left your father and your mother. You still go to them for every decision. It's one thing to go to them for wisdom. It's another thing to go to them to get approval or pleasure. It's another thing to choose mom over your spouse. And some of it, I get you. Look, I know, I've talked to some of you. Some of you have overbearing mothers. Some of you are overbearing mothers. God bless you, we'll talk about you next week, all right? (laughs) 
And consequently, your wife doesn't feel loved, encouraged, or supported by your leadership in the home. It's possibly time to start drawing some boundary lines on that relationship, as hard and as painful as that may be for you. Because here's the thing. Your marriage, your marriage, your husband, you wives, is to point to Christ. Your greatest evangelistic testimony to the world will be your home. Your worst evangelistic testimony to the world will probably be your home. And there's a reason why it's biblical. Take a look. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. And all the men in the room go, that's right, pastor, preach it. No, 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 you missed, you missed what Paul was actually saying. Husbands, you are the leader in your home the same way that Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. In other words, the church is the body of Christ. We talk about that all the time. But the point of the body analogy is that are you taking care of your body? I mean, Paul literally goes on and he says, nobody abuses their own body. And sadly, that's not true today. But you make sure you're fed. You make sure you're clothed. You make sure you're cared for. The point is she is you. In the same way that Jesus looks at you and says you are him, she is you. So if you're thoughtful enough of yourself to do it for you, then be thoughtful enough of her to do it for her. Tony Marita made this point. I read this this week, and I was so excited. I went home and told my wife. She just looked at me like most of the time when I talk about things. She's like, that's not that big of a deal. I thought this was so cool. I don't know why. I'd never thought of it like this. He says, wives, you give a picture of the church to the world, according to Paul. But husbands, you give a picture of Christ to the world. Just unpack that for one second. See, as men in the room, you will represent Jesus to your wives and your children. So your love for them, your provision for them, your care for them, your nurturing of them, all of that is a picture to the world of how Jesus loves you, saves you, redeems you, restores you. That's your role in the home. And wives, as you submit to, lead, love, serve your husband back, you are a picture to the world of the way that the church is to do this for Jesus. Do you see that? Your marriage, your home could be a tremendous testimony to the glory of God on earth. All right, so men, how you doing? I I wish I had like this, here's these 10 questions, check yes or no, and if you get 70% or better, you're doing good, because all the men in the room go, yes, data, charts, numbers, boom, bring it, pastor. But this question's a little bit harder because this is more like if everybody were to look in your home, to look at your family, would they know how Jesus loves a church based off how you are loving your wife and your children? If the answer is no, what are you going to do about it? If the answer is I don't know, what are you going to do about that? If the answer is yes, then maybe God's calling you to help lead some of us who are struggling to find the answers. Take a look, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. For husbands, for husbands, this means love your wives 
just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Why? To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Verse 29 to 30, no one hates his own body, but he feeds it and he cares for it just as Christ cares, not past tense, cared currently, presently, cares for the church and we are members of his body. Okay, so what, what Paul is really trying to get to here is men. I, I left a little thing backstage that I need and I don't know where I left it. I thought I brought it. Hang on. Hey, ignore the guy walking off stage for a minute. Ignore the man behind the curtain. <laughs> the purpose, men, of what Paul is trying to get to is this. You are to be the plug for your family. And you are to be plugged into Christ. Remember, he is your power. He is where you get your wisdom, your strength, everything you need. And as you plug into Christ, it becomes the power source for your family to plug into you. You ever notice it? You never seem to have enough of these, right? <laughs> well, that's how life is going to feel a lot of times. That's how your wife feels a lot of times. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying your children shouldn't learn to go to the Lord. I'm not saying your wives should never go to the Lord. I'm not saying that they should be some unhealthy, codependent relationship. What I'm saying is as a leader in your home, you are deeply and intimately connected to Christ so that you always have what they need to give to them. But the problem for most of us men is that we aren't plugged into Christ and we disengage because, well, we're too busy, we're too stressed, or we have something else we deem more important than God. So what Jesus says in John chapter 15 is, abide in me and I will abide in you and you will bear much fruit. However, apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. Thing. Oh, don't get me wrong. You may make lots of money. You may climb a ladder. You may get promotions. You may do all kinds of things that you deem that are great in this earth. However, the people that need you the most, when they go to plug into you, they're going to find no power there. I had this student at my uh, last church, and I want to be careful how I tell this story, but I loved him. He was a huge volunteer for us, just a good guy. Young teenager at the time, but struggling through stuff. Midway through his teenage years, he started telling me that he had um, same gender attraction. And we started working on that. I loved his parents. They were volunteers in my ministry. I loved them. And we were working through that. Except for about midway, halfway through later in his high school years, he found out that his dad was a closet alcoholic his whole life. It came out because his dad got busted with an OWI. And... Um, it was like shocking. It wasn't all that shocking to me because I'd kind of picked up on some hints and some smells. And when I had confronted him on them, he denied it, acted like nothing was there. But what was happening was his dad was really good at playing the game of faith. His dad had gotten really good at jumping through the right hoops, so he looked like he always had it together. But every time his sons were going to him to get power, they were finding nothing there. Because dad had this whole secret life. Where instead of leaning into the power of God to get what he needed to give to his family, he was leaning into something else. 
And this former student of mine didn't even know that it was happening. He just knew that there were gaps in his relationship, and he couldn't even wrap his head around it. He couldn't even acknowledge it. He didn't even know how to feel when he found out that his dad has been a closet alcoholic all these years. But it made him go back and start connecting some dots. So maybe that explains this, and maybe that explains that. And that's why, listen, men... If you are trading the power of Christ for something else in your life that you're turning to because you feel like you don't have what it takes, or maybe you're afraid, or whatever it is, but you're turning to this for comfort, for safety, for peace, or just to cope with life, as a byproduct, you're giving something else to your family when they come and plug into you. They don't need that. They need Jesus. And God has built this thing so that they are to get him from you, even your wives. And I get it. Many of the men in this room, as a byproduct of what Satan has done in our country, feel ill-equipped to do the job. It's not necessarily that they don't want to, but they don't know how to or what to do. So the want's there, the desire's there, but they don't have the ability. Well, let me just encourage you, first of all, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 or 6 or 7 or somewhere in that ballpark, you'll find it, keep reading, it'll be good for you. He says somewhere in there, he says, you have everything you need for life and godliness through Christ Jesus. Everything you need, it's already in you by God. It's in here. It's not a matter of, well, nobody ever told me and I didn't know and I don't know how to read the Bible. Guess what? We will come alongside you to help better equip you, to better train you. We will do that in your life. But everything you need is already inside of you. That's why we're putting these classes together that we're getting ready to launch so that you can get training on like, what is the Bible and how do I integrate a biblical worldview into my life or my home? That's why I'm offering this parenting seminar on November 4th and many of you are gonna go, well, I got football games and other things that day. See, if you start to take this stuff seriously and realize that, man, this is my role, this is my job, this is who I'm called to be, then you stop making excuses and you start stepping into the moment. And if I could speak for your wife, since she has to keep her elbows to herself and she's not allowed to say anything the whole day, she wants this from you desperately. And she's been trying to tell you in nine million different ways, sometimes very directly, other times indirectly, sometimes in very annoying and sinful ways, like nagging you. You weren't supposed to laugh at that. You just got in trouble. See, I'm sorry about that. But the reality, she wants this from you. She wants to come to you when she's tired and stressed and needy and know that you're going to have something to offer her. But look, even though that opening illustration was mostly about women, you know this. You had your own side of that same story. You rushed to work and you get all these deadlines and all these things going on and all these demands and they're always there and there are all these pressures and not going anywhere and you have some really big dreams. I'm trying to get us into a bigger house. I'm trying to get us with more yard. I'm trying to take us on a nice vacation but you've never sat down and done the real math of what the cost of all those things are. You're like, yes, I have. Have you? Have the five or the 10 or the 15 or the 20 hours that you're giving up now to get that thing later, is it worth it? Is it worth trading eight months of work for one week of vacation? Well, pastor, you don't have to put it like that. I know I don't have to, but Jesus says the truth will do what? Set you free. But I don't know about you. I don't want the truth. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. 
I started to use this illustration in the last service, and I, I, I learned a long time ago in a small group class I took, I had to take at college, um, that when in a group, if somebody sits like this, it's because they don't feel safe. I started telling this story last service, and I went like this as I started telling it. Like in my brain, I'm like, well, I feel really insecure right now. So I'm about to be really vulnerable, and, and I'm, not, I'm not proud of what I'm about to tell you, but I'm going to, okay, everybody do this for a second. Ready? I'll feel better. Help me. Okay, here we go. So this year, I had a sabbatical, and I'm just being really open and honest for a minute. Um, part of that sabbatical needed to come because I had allowed some of these very pieces to slip in my life. I was trying to fix and save a whole bunch of things in my own effort. And what happened as a byproduct is I started to pull away from God. And so what would happen is when my family needed me most, I didn't have anything to give them. It's not that I didn't love them. I just didn't have the power to give them. So right before the sabbatical began, I looked at my wife and said, I want you to think about this. Don't answer right away. Just want you to think about this. If there is one thing that I could change, one thing that I could change over these next 60 days of my sabbatical, you name it and I'll do it. She didn't hesitate. I was like, I told you to wait. <laughs> She knew, which tells me she'd been thinking about this for a long time. You know what it was? She said, Matt, we don't have a regular time for our kids to engage with God. I want a daily quiet time with our family. She resisted every urge to say, and you're the leader of our home and you're a pastor. You should be doing this anyway. She might have thought it. I was thinking it. When she said it, I immediately felt like a failure. Like, here I am leading all these people to Christ, and I'm not even doing a great job in my own home. But guess what I did? I got to work. I got to work. I got to work trying to be the spiritual leader in my home that God intends for me to be. And I could say today, while we've missed a few days here and there for crazy reasons, we did it again last night. And we've done it almost every night this week. You can do this. So what is the this? What is the this that God wants from you? Well, I think Paul just told you, however, you missed it because you, you weren't listening and you're being defensive in your own mind, trying to defend yourself to your wife when she brings it up later, even though I told her not to. So let me just spell it out for you, right? Paul identifies six ways, six ways that Christ loves the church, and I think they're our guide. So here you go, number one, number one. First thing you need to know is Jesus actually loved, you put loves, the church, that's important because some of you men have one foot in the door and one foot out the door. You've got something else that's shiny or pretty out there that has your attention. It's a girl, it's a sport, it's a thing, it's a hobby, it's a club, it's a business, and you have a ton of great justifications for it. But consequently, you have one foot out the door. It's not that maybe, maybe some of you, you're not even sure if you want to stay in the home, but some of you, you really are, like you love them and you love that. You cannot be the spiritual leader that God needs you to be, your family needs you to be in your home if you have one foot out the door. So what you gotta do is pull that foot back in the door and shut the door. You might have to go to that girl and say, it's done. You might have to go to that second job and say, I can't keep doing this. You might actually today not be able to turn on the TV and watch football. I will tell you painfully, I have had to dethrone the idol of football in my life, and I keep having to dethrone it. I love football, but I don't love football more than I love my family, but my actions don't always communicate that. What is it in your life that's got one foot out the door? Jesus loved the church. Number two, Jesus, and this may be the one thing, if you get anything else today, men, get this, Jesus gave himself up 
for the church. Now, in Jesus' life, that looked like the cross and the resurrection. But in our lives, how is that to look? Well, you are to put God number one in your life, but your wife is to be number two. Your kids are to be number three. And your job and everything else is to come after that. Don't get me wrong. It's not that you can't work hard for your job. That's one of the ways you provide for your wife and your kids and you honor Jesus. So it fits in. But when push comes to shove, your job cannot replace your family. For far too long, men especially, but even women, have assumed that the church or the school will be responsible for raising our families. How many of you, just answer this, how many of you have some deep or profound wound because your parents weren't present or active enough in your life? Do you want to give that same gift to your family that was given to you? Or do you want to be there to love them, to nurture them, to care for them? Let me just help you come to grips with something real quick, and this again is a whole sermon series for another day, but there is not enough hours in the day to do everything you want to do but there is enough hour in every day to do everything God has called you to do. The problem is not God's command on your life. The problem is you, men, choosing to let go of the things that you want for the things that your family needs. It might mean not spending money on yourself because they need something. Don't get me wrong. I'm not asking you to write a blank check to your kids and say, hey, go spend this. I'll give you whatever you want. No, no, no. Want versus need. Well, how do I know what it is? Well, let's just keep looking. There may be some wisdom in here. Number three, Jesus sanctified the church. Sanctified. Talked a little bit about that a couple weeks ago in case you missed it. To sanctify something is to change it from what it was to what it will become, to move it from unholy to holy. Jesus did this in the church literally by dying on a cross. He changed your identity when he rose from the dead and you received that as payment for your sins. But beyond that, he's growing you, he says, by the washing of his word. So we get washed in the waters of baptism, changed, death to life. Death to life? I don't think that's what I meant. Death to life. However, we get changed by the ongoing washing of the word as it reveals to us who we are and what we need to do different and how we need to grow. And this is your role in your home. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Second, he cleansed the church. It's the same kind of analogy. Two parts of the same thing. And number, and I want you to get this. Number five, why did he do all that? He presented the church back to himself. What in the world does that mean? All right, ladies, I'm going to speak for you. I'm hoping I could be your voice today a little bit. Ladies, do you just love it when your husband or even your boyfriend or fiance, when they come up to you and say, wow, you look great today. Come on now. Does it not hurt you, ladies, when you've spent all the time getting ready and he doesn't say a word? Early in my marriage, I was a fool, man. My, I would always get to church before my wife because I had to show up, you know, work. But she'd show up, and, and this is before we had kids, so she'd spend the whole morning getting dolled up just for me. She didn't care what any of you bums thought. She would get <laughs> dolled up just for me. And I would be so busy thinking about my job that I would see her and say, oh, hey, and I'd give her a kiss, and then we'd just move on. We'd leave church. I mean, I did this more times than I can count. And I would think in my head, dang, she looks good today. What time's church over? And we'd get in the car and she'd say, do I look pretty today? Oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. I forgot to say something. I didn't realize the depth of the hurt. She'd look at me and she said, you didn't even say something. And it was in my head. I meant to say it. She didn't mean anything, you know? Because every woman wants to be noticed. And she really is the glory of creation, womankind. God 
did a fantastic job, didn't he, men? But why? Why does Jesus sanctify and cleanse the church? To present the church back to himself. It's exactly the analogy being played out here. So think about this for a moment. It's like your wedding day. I don't know how your wedding day looked. People do it different ways. But my wedding day, we did all the pictures we could do beforehand that had nothing to do with Rachel and I. So she did it with her ladies. She took the pictures of my men. She took a picture of my family, her family. Then I did the same thing. But the ones for just us, we waited till afterwards. So I'm standing up there next to the minister. And the door opens. And the music's playing. My wife comes out. My jaw hit the ground. I was like, whoa. Look at her. She took all day. She did her nails. She did her hair. She did her makeup multiple times, I'm sure. She kept smelling herself, make sure she didn't smell funky. She went out, tried on a dress multiple times. She ate right leading up to the wedding. You will never look as beautiful as on your wedding day. I mean, she just looked amazing. And I couldn't wait for that moment to present her to myself as my bride. And this is exactly the analogy that Paul is playing on here. And he's saying, you men, you work hard in your families so that you could present your wives back to yourself. It's a gift because it's your body. Her body is your body. Your body is her body. It's a beautiful thing to be able to do this, amen? And to be able to look at your bride and say, you look fantastic. And I don't just mean on the outside. I mean, your heart is at peace. Your mind is rested. You're a great woman. And I love you. Those words mean so much. And lastly, it's number six. Jesus continues to provide care for the church. It's not just past tense. Have you ever noticed you were short on money? You weren't sure how you were going to pay the bill. You weren't sure how this thing was going to work out. You lost your job, whatever it is. And crazy, like this money just came through. Have you ever noticed that like you were sick and you start praying, God, would you help? And all of a sudden you got better or medicine came or a solution showed up last minute. That's God providing for you because he still loves you. He still cares about you. So if you look at your wedding as, well, I bring home the bacon, that's the end of it. You're missing, you're missing the bigger picture. Your wife needs you on a regular ongoing basis so that when she plugs into you, she gets what she needs because you went to God to get what you need. I'll save the details for time and also for personal, it's my family stuff, but a few weeks ago, um, there was a thing in my home, we were exhausted, and I was thinking in my head, man, I'm exhausted, I'm so tired, I'm going to go see if Rachel cares if I take a nap, except for when I saw Rachel next, she looked at me, she goes, honey, I'm worn out, I'm exhausted, do you care if I go take a nap? And I thought, she beat me to it. Now, everything in my head is thinking, I have more reason to be tired than you do. And I'm right, by the way. But I looked at her, convicted by God, and I said, absolutely. I didn't even bring up all those other issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the very next thing I did is I said a very brief prayer to God. I said, God, I don't have it in me today. I could go downstairs, and I could turn on the Xbox and the iPad. I could just put the kids on, and I could veg out for two hours, but that wouldn't be good for them. That won't be good for me. It won't be good later when Rachel wakes up and everything's chaotic because the boys play video games for two hours. They need me. And God, so I need you. I need you to give me what I need so I can give to them what they need. But I don't have it in me today, God. I don't have it in me. So I went downstairs. I was up in our bathroom, and I went downstairs. My wife went to take a nap, and I hugged her, encouraged her, didn't tell her any of this this day. She doesn't know any of this, so... She may find out later today. And I went downstairs, and we had the most amazing time playing together. 
Me and my three boys, I mean, we played. Rachel woke up. I didn't have to go wake her up. It was one of, the, one of those, I need to get out of bed. I'm so tired. No, she just came downstairs on her own when she felt rested. She came downstairs, and we were playing and laughing and having a good time. She's like, what in the world's going on down here? I'm like, daddy time. This is how we roll, man. And I thanked God. I'm like, thank you, God. You gave me exactly what my family needed, exactly what they needed. They won't look back and remember video games. They're going to look back and remember their dad when he was worn out and very busy giving them him. And through me giving them me, they believe and trust that God's going to show up to give them what they need because they see it in dad. Dad has time and margin and focus for them because they're more important to me than other things. Do you see how this works? So let me give you three tips. And I know we're a little bit over on time, so I'll go really quickly. Three tips. Here's how I believe you are to be Jesus to your family men. You ready? These are the three things you need to write down. Some practical, practical advice. Wives, elbows to yourselves. All right. In the Old Testament, there are three what we call offices. Prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. And these three offices are what Jesus fulfilled in us when he showed up in the New Testament. Now, really interesting, in the Old Testament, no king could be a prophet and a priest. No priest could be a prophet and a king, and no king could be a priest or a prophet. I think I said that right. You could only hold one office at a time. Jesus shows up, and he holds all three, which is why we know Jesus is greater. It's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. But he has now given us a model for how to lead our family. So, just some practical tips. As a priest, as a priest, in the Old Testament, the priests of God were supposed to minister on behalf of God to the people. That's your role as husband in the home. You are to be the minister from God to the people. That means servant. So, for instance, uh, some priests would work in the temple, literally serving in the temple, uh, preparing things for people to meet God. And they would literally meet with the people when they had major sin issues or brokenness or pain, and they would care for the people. They would often bind up the wounds of the people. They would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people to present them to God. This is one way you are to serve your family, husbands. Far too many of us have been given a false sense of bravado and masculinity in America, which tells us that we can't be nurturing to our families, but God has never revealed that as who he is as a father. In fact, we see over and over and over again passages in the Bible that describe him as a loving father, as a caring father, and as a protective father. He's not just a provider and protector, which allows you to go to work and work too much. He is also a nurturer and one who serves. So men, how are you serving your family? Does your wife ever get time with you for you to hear what's going on in her heart and life when you're not doing this thing on your phone? Do your kids? Do they ever get your actual physical service of them? I know going to work is one of the ways you do that, but it's not the only one. Do you have margin in your energy and in your time to play, to love, to take your spouse on a date? I'm working with one couple, and I'll, I'll leave it as general as I can to protect them. I'm working with one couple, though, and they were supposed to meet with me, and they texted last minute and said, hey, we're not going to make it today. Well, I'm a little irritated. I don't have a lot of free time in my life. And I said, so, you know, what's going on? Well, he's really, really, really worn out. Why? Well, not only does he work, he does, 60 to 80 hours a week, but one of his friend's roofs recently uh, got ripped off or fell apart or something, and he went over there for two straight days on his day off to do that. And I said, well, how do you feel about missing the appointment? And there was silence. I said, are you ignoring me? She finally wrote back and said, no, I'm hurt. 
And I said, why? I knew the answer. I wanted her to say it. Because this doesn't tell me that I'm important to him. Yeah, I get that. So are you going to tell him? No. Why? Because I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe to tell him how I really feel. Why? Well, because he chose to serve someone else instead of serving his family. And she doesn't want him to stop having a good heart. She doesn't want him not to be a good man. She doesn't want him not to be willing to help others. It's just that the family has needs, and he put everybody else's needs above their own. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, we are terrible at this. And I can justify all day long giving myself to all of you and leaving these three little boys and my wife at home wondering if daddy has anything left. So I have to put very strict boundaries, and I've done that. I've looked in the room today. I I know I've offended some of you at some point when I said, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I'm like a month out from having the margin to do that or whatever it is. It's not because I don't want to help you. It's just that there's one of me. And God has placed everything he needs in lots of people to serve you. So where are you going to go to learn how to be a better priest? How about this one? Prophet, prophet. The prophets of God in the Old Testament received a word from the Lord to share with the people, sometimes through vision, sometimes through Jesus speaking directly, whatever it is. So how are you hearing from God to give to your family? Now, what many men do when they hear this kind of concept about prophets, what they tend to do is they go hear from God and then boss their families around. They use submission as a weapon to attack. I'm your dad, you'll obey me. I'm your husband, woman. I said that to my wife before. It went like this. I am the man of this house. And as the man of this house, I'm the leader in this home. And as the leader of this home, I say we do whatever you want. (laughs) And the wives are like, amen, preach it, right? (laughs) I always say it jokingly. I have said it many times. Even my wife will look at me and say, you're the man of this house. I'm like, I think you mean it. But anyway, here's the point. As the prophet, as the prophet, you are supposed to be the mouthpiece of God for your family. I get it. A lot of you, you you grew up in a home where nobody ever taught you how to engage God. But listen, everything you need is already inside you for life and godliness. So either the scriptures are wrong or you just don't believe them. I know this. If your boss comes to you tomorrow and says, hey, we've got this great opportunity. I need you to go take new ground over here. How many of you would say, I can't do that? Or how many of you would say, oh, man, let me go figure it out? Something breaks at the house. What do you do? Well, I don't know how to fix that. Or do you go, I'll figure it out. How many of you, when you fell in love with whatever your hobby is, you know, NASCAR, your sport, or whatever it is, you went, well, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, at some point, and then you did what? You went and figured it out. If you're passionate about something, men, you will do what? Figure it out. You need coaching, get it. You need a book, buy it. You listen to books that are reading them, listen to it. I don't care what you do, but be the leader in your home. And lastly, king, king. Again, men love to use this one. Love, men love to use this one. But being the king in your home simply means that you're the leader. You're the one responsible for how the home is going. Let's take that opening analogy and let's put some of these pieces together. Maybe as the king in your home, you come in the house, your wife has dinner, it's behind, it's late, the kids are chaotic, the house is chaotic. You know what you could do? You could walk up, you could hug your wife, you could kiss her, and you could just say, hey, baby, I'm here to serve. If you need something, just ask me. And then you don't wait for her to ask because if she has to ask, it's one more thing she has to do, right, ladies? What do you do? You clear the table. You set the table. You go ahead and go over to the kids. Hey, we're turning off this stuff. We're going to come in from outside. We're going to go wash our hands. We're going to go ahead and do this. You go ahead and get them to the table. If she's not quite ready yet, you sit down. Hey, kids, how was your day today? You go ahead and lead. 
and she will begin to trust you. And as she starts to trust you, do you know what she'll do? She'll follow your lead. But what's broken in most homes today is the wives don't feel like they can trust their husbands because the husbands aren't leading them by serving them. So what I want to do today is I want to pray over you men. And I want to leave you with a homework assignment. Your job is before this day is over, it could be lunch, it could be dinner, is to go to your spouse and ask the question I ask my wife. Honey, if there's one way that I could be a better prophet or priest or king, not all three, ladies, one way that I could be better serve this family by being a better prophet, priest, or king, what do you want me to do? And whatever she says, you give every dollar, effort, energy, or hour you have to making it happen. Because I believe in you. You have all that you need for life and godliness. Go get it done. Let's engage God right now in communion. And men, I want to encourage you to ask God for the strength. Because you might have to give up some junk to make this happen. Wives, I want to ask for wisdom for you because speak wisely here. For the husbands that do follow up, by the way, if you don't, oh, man, <laughs> I don't know how else to help you <laughs> if you don't do it. Ladies, be ready to speak with wisdom. Make sure what you speak is clear and helpful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for patiently leading me, guiding me. Thank you for bringing men who came into my life to speak hard truths when I needed them. Thank you, God, for the guidance you've given me through books and sermons and mentors. Thank you, God, for my own parents who've shown me so much. God, I pray right now for every man and wife in this room, those who are widowed or single, maybe married one day. God, I pray that the men in this room would step into the leadership roles you've called them to lead in. I pray that they would become the prophets, the priests, the kings to their wives and their wife and their children. And Father, I just pray right now that you would meet us in this place and encourage our hearts in Jesus' name.